everyone, this is Vahid, co-host of the Pulse podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Ashwini Zanu. Ash is the CEO of Kamir, a platform that enables health systems, digital health companies, and other third-party developers to more quickly build interoperable data-driven products for healthcare. Their goal is to facilitate new clinical and operational workflows that leverage a health system's data infrastructure to improve the patient experience, perform better in value-based arrangements, and expand access to care. Kamira recently closed a $500 million fundraise across two rounds led by Human Capital and Green Oaks Capital, and it received its initial backing from General Catalyst. Ash, excited to dive into this conversation today. Uh, really looking forward to it. How's it going? Can't complain. It's Monday afternoon and the morning has been pretty good, so can't complain. Thanks for having me on. Of course. As you know, we have a tradition here on the show and we ask all our guests the same icebreaker, which is, what did you want to be when you grow up? Ooh, what did I want to be or what do I want to be? It, it so, can be a mix of both. You, you yeah. go for it. So I would say, what do I want to be? I was thinking about that actually earlier today. I've spent, I won't say how old I am, but I've spent a long time in healthcare. I was a doctor. I came into health tech, been in government doing healthcare stuff. Sort of all focused on how do you improve care delivery? And it's been a very personal story for me. And I would say along the way, you know, I got married somewhere along the way. And I noticed that my husband had been having a lot of fun traveling the world. And I had missed out uh, a lot of the good portions of it. So I think for me, I see the next 10 years as like the decade of healthcare. And I think we're really going to make a dent in where we're going to go with like delivery of care and what it's going to mean for the patient. And hopefully once we accomplish that, I will have a lot more time on my hands to explore the world. So I would love to be that world traveler and possibly even live in different parts of the world if I ever had that opportunity, but I've got to get some stuff done first. So if you live somewhere for a year right now, what would that place be? Oh, Singapore. Like no doubt. I've actually thought about how can I maneuver my way to be the CEO, but like live in Singapore? How do I make that happen? I'm constantly thinking about this. If you have ideas, I'll take it. I mean, if anyone can make it happen, <laughs> would be the CEO. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you never know. Look out for it. <laughs> I think it's going to take me at least a year, but I, I am working on it. It's on my plan. I'll be on a lookout for that office. But just to kind of dive in now again to the conversation. So thanks again for joining us and sharing a little bit about your uh, world travel ambitions. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about Kamir today. But before we do that, I want to just go back and talk a little bit about your background. You know, before Kamir, you were CMO at Salesforce. And you know, even before that, you were a practicing physician. So I'd like to just learn a little bit more about how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. I've been a practicing physician, like I said, for a couple of decades. I don't think I would have ever left medicine or the practice thereof full-time, but I had a life-changing, life-altering event is what I'll say. I became a caregiver to a patient. I love practice of medicine. I love radiology. I love you know all the procedures that are a part of it. It's a great specialty to be a part of. But once I became a caregiver to a cancer patient and I realized really how broken our healthcare system is, it was a family member. I couldn't go back to one-on-one care. Like it just didn't feel right. I tried actually, I tried going back and uh, you know, a year into it, I was like, I just can't do this. I have a voice, I can go make a difference. And so in 2015, I actually left full-time practice and went to serve in the Senate. 
became a Brookings Fellow in the Senate, worked on legislation. I wanted to make sure I gave importance to some of the things that I thought were necessary, worked on bills in in that space, uh, including access for patients to technology, information blocking technology, working on RWE, and spent some time in the last two administrations working at the VA really bringing technology and the delivery of care together. I mean, it's a great microcosm. VA takes care of 21 million patients in total. They have a large health IT uh, group, connected care and applications teams. And you can really think about like amazing tech that you can bring, deploy it and see like the impact, you know, right there, right? You're not selling anything. You're just making change. And so just that was sort of my path. And when I left the VA, I was like, where can I have this kind of impact? Is it going back to a smaller healthcare system? I have a love-hate relationship with how I view the insurance industry. And so I sort of took the path of technology because I feel like technology can you know add a lot of value and ended up at Salesforce. Before I became chief medical officer, I was actually the general manager for the healthcare and life sciences business. So I helped grow and build the technology for our industry across payer provider, medical devices, pharmaceutical industry, and then public sector healthcare. And then also became the chief corporate CMO. And from there, I've landed at Comur. It's been a really interesting journey, not one that I had like intended to take. But I think if you sort of follow your passions and, you know, have sort of your North Star, fall somewhere sometimes along the way, but you, you get to where you want to be. So here's, here's where I am. Yeah, definitely. And thank you for sharing that background. The point that you brought up earlier about the VA in particular was interesting to me because you know, I've started hearing now from a few different folks. We actually had a past guest on the show, John Bloom from Podometrics, who was talking about exactly what you mentioned. You can really innovate a lot more quickly than people expect in the VA. People kind of think, oh, VA is related to government, government might be slow, but really it is a good testing ground for innovation, just kind of given the care models yeah, I mean, I think I'll just say the VA gets a lot of bad rap. It is a really, really big system. And we tend to hear about the negative things about the VA or generally about how slow government is. But if you really look at the amazing innovation that has come out of the VA, right, everything from the Million Veteran Program with the genomic sequencing to the initial EMR and deployment across there are 185 sites of care. They have 2,000 outpatient sites that are all using sort of one deployment, but it's all interoperable, right? So if you think about what's been built, it lay the groundwork for the innovation that we are kind of seeing today. A lot of the telemedicine deployment, the connected care applications, we were deploying and had visibility into five, six, seven years ago. We just don't hear about it as much, but it, I would say it was one of the best experiences of my life to go work in government and work specifically at the VA. And um, to now kind of transition into today, what convinced you to leave Salesforce? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I um, had an incredible learning curve at Salesforce. I'd never been in a vendor organization. So it was sort of like doing residency for sales and marketing is what I would say going into an organization like that. So it really like taught me a lot in addition to me contributing my own sort of knowledge back to the company and the industry there. But at the end of the day, when you're in a large organization and you're trying to drive deep into an industry vertical, you realize that you're actually competing against many other industries. And for healthcare, as you and I both know, this is a tough industry. You can't have like one toe dipped in. You have to be all in. And I sort of thought about like when I left my full-time practice, what is it that I left to do? And I really left to bring a lot of value and change 
ultimately deliver like the right care for patients, but all the things along the way. And I, I hedged my bets and I put it all in, you know, the technology basket. I really thought that that's sort of where you could make like huge impact with like, you know, even the smallest changes. I saw it myself. Like I said, when I, you know, when my mom was ill, like we had no telemedicine, we had no like chat with your doctor. You were going into the ER at two o'clock in the morning for something really simple. And when you're a cancer patient, it's not easy. There was no like, hey, I'd like to have my blood drawn at home. You were going in every week for your blood draw. So there's like so much change that you can make by changing the care model and adding technology. I was motivated by that. And I, you know, I really thought my next step into making that change is to go into a startup environment, which is a lot more agile and a lot more focused. And if you're coming from the same mindset as your investors and your backers, you're going to go much faster. So that's sort of what drove me here. So let's get right into it and talk about Kamir. Kamir has built what you were calling this common architecture for healthcare. And that really seems to be core to the company, to how it's approaching the problems that's trying to address. So I'd like to just start off there for a moment. What does common architecture mean? Who's this really targeted towards? You know, what is this common architecture supposed to be trying to solve? I would say the core problems in healthcare, we've been talking about interoperability for a long time. And everyone's been trying to solve interoperability. And I think it's just, I don't think everyone has the same definition, but at least for us here, when we got started, what we saw was that there was really no connective tissue that was bringing everything inside of a system together. And there was no connective tissue that was connecting all of the other things that are connecting into the system together. You know, common architecture, commerce, that's where the name comes from. We wanted to build that framework on the back end to say, how do you go work with both health systems and newcomers to allow them to collaborate and work together and unite those, right? So I think we're starting with the health systems. We've got a couple of companies that are being built on top of us as well that are the newer players. Transparent is one that we've publicly talked about with Glenn Tolman. But it's really intended to say, how do you bring not just the health systems, but these new entrants, the, you know, the startups? And the payers and pharma companies to come together to have data-driven collaboration at scale. Got it. So it sounds like what really Kamir is trying to do is build this system to allow that collaboration and integration between developers, digital health companies, where else might be, and the health systems and settings where care is being delivered. Yeah. Um, I remember when I first heard about interoperability and just it being a challenge. The saving grace, and this was, there's this new API protocol, Fire, and everyone's going to be using Fire, and this is going to solve all the issues. And it sounds like it's a lot more complicated than that, right? So can you shed a little bit of light on what exactly is the challenge with integration? What are some of the things that Kamir is doing in terms of this heavy lifting that's allowing others to more easily integrate and collaborate? I remember talking about this probably a decade ago where people said, and I still hear a lot of health tech companies talking about this, actually. And they say, you know, we have this interoperable platform. What most people really mean is that they can take structured and unstructured data and they can move it back and forth, whether it's within a system or between systems or, you know, between a health system and like a new startup. What you really need for an interoperable platform is more than just like a data dumping tool. Like putting all the data somewhere for me is not useful. I still have burnout. I still have to look at like hundreds and hundreds of pages to like learn about a patient, right? But if I need data about somebody's like insurance to understand their drug benefits, that's useful. If I need data about another provider's schedule so that I can help sort of 
bring the schedule and my patient that I'm trying to get in, maybe that's useful. It's really bringing the right data from different places and making it useful, whether it's at the point of care or at the point of billing or where an administrator is trying to manage that problem. So I think that is like the crux of the interoperability that most people have to address. But we keep kind of going back to interoperability is a data problem, but it's actually a data delivery in meaning, you know, making it meaningful problem. And I think that's a lot harder to solve. When you, when you work with a platform like ours, we're able to take, as you know, healthcare has, no, you know, has limited standards or not commonly agreed upon standard. We're actually able to take these different types of data sources and bring it together and then make it meaningful and make it available so that one, a provider can use it, two, a system or other companies can actually build on top and make it more meaningful for them, whether it's building a project, a program, or a company on top. So that's sort of our mission. Got it. So it sounds like this idea of taking these different inputs, one, standardizing it, and then being able to parse out um, the most relevant piece of information. So you're not just getting this data dump that now it's on the providers to analyze, but more, okay, here's the piece of information I need, and we're going to make it really clean and easy to use. Yeah. And some of it's clinical data, some of it's not clinical data. But like I said, there's a third part. It's how do you bring whether it's people that are building, developers that are building within a system or people that are building outside of a system to collaborate with that data. We're working with a customer right now where we've brought all of the data sources together and we're connecting it and we're making it meaningful, not only within a provider system, but also the third parties that are connecting in so that the data that flows is meaningful. But how do you bring all of that together in a place where they can build a health, you know, healthcare at home company? And we're providing the tools to make that happen. And so allowing for new use cases, uh, new sources of revenue so that you know, systems can become more intelligent, take care of their patients, and actually provide care in somebody's home. So we sort of provide multiple layers of what's required there. Makes sense. And you started alluding to this right now, so I'd be interested in maybe diving into one of those use cases. So if you were to pull up a use case, whether it's a company that's publicly a customer kind of speak in vague terms as well. Can you just tell me a little bit about what this type of partnership or collaboration model looks like? I've been thinking about different ways to describe a platform because we started off as that universal platform. And what I've realized is almost every healthcare company that's in technology today calls itself a platform, no matter what it's delivering. And so I'm trying to move away from that. But I will tell you at our core, that is what we are because a platform allows other people to develop on top and to have solutions, right? It's an open ecosystem, which is what we are. So while we sort of bring the data together and allow for this developer platform, we're also like building our own solutions. If you think about, and I'll give you an example in a minute, but if you think about like a new phone, if your iPhone just comes with an iPhone, it's a blank screen as an operating system, it's not useful. It usually comes with a couple of tools, right? It comes with a messaging app, it comes with the scheduling and a mail app, et cetera but you don't have to use it. Like I don't use Apple Maps. I tend to use Waze or Google. That is sort of what we're getting to. So there are lots of use cases that you can build to on an iPhone. And so that's how I would think about us. You know, we have that operating system and the developer tools that you can build towards, whether you're a system or not. I gave you an example just now. We have another system we're working with where they said, you know what? We want to take all our data and make our patient engagement and our patient experience more meaningful. 
we'd like to have the right type of scheduling data going to the right place so that we can schedule and build deeper patient experience tools. They decided to work with a third party. They are providing the service to a health system that is being built on top of our platform, and we are the provider of the tools and the data. So that's one. We had a, uh, another children's hospital we were working with. They were using Epic for scheduling the patient, Cerner for the data store. They had third-party RPM tooling, and they were using Zoom for virtual care. And so the provider had to work with four different systems to try to provide virtual care during COVID to these patients. And they had no way of like combining all of those. But by putting that all on top of Camura, it was a single experience. They would open up a screen. They had all of their components on one screen. They were able to work and anything that they put into, whether it was our system or a third-party system, the data then transferred back to where it needed to go into meaningful places. Those are a couple examples of how we're working with companies. Got it. So just to make sure I understand this correctly, so it sounds like a big part of the proposition is kind of doing that heavy lifting ahead of time when it comes to setting up those integrations, right? So in the case of the children's hospital, you could go to this hospital and say like, look, it seems like you're trying to integrate with Cerner, you're trying to integrate with Epic, Zoom on one side of things. We have these already set up for you and we can basically turn on access to that data in a way that's easy to develop on top of. And so that seems to be like a large part of the lift that you're able to alleviate for these systems. Is that right? It's some of it. It's not just an integration chassis, right? You have to make the integration chassis more useful. In that particular scenario, what they needed was for us to bring it all together. They're now talking to us to say, oh, that was really interesting. We have Epic and Cerner. We don't want to spend $100 or $200 million replacing one or the other. How can you help us sort of make this more meaningful? And we have tools where we're working with another system where we're, we have multiple different EHRs and CRM and IoT data that's coming together. And the providers don't have to switch or VPN into multiple systems. They can use our layer to collaborate, communicate, work on top of, and send the data back. Again, I go back to, I don't want to say we're a platform, but we are. And we have some of the workflows. We're a platform with workflows that makes it easy for providers and for administrators. We don't want to substitute for an EHR. We think it's really important. There's no easy button where the system can say, okay, well, I've done this with this cardiology system. How do I take the same type of data and get dashboards across all of the systems? We can provide the data and the tooling in a way where they can build those or get another company to build it. We don't want to build it all. We don't want to go build the fertility engagement solution. We don't want to go build the orthopedic engagement solution, right? But we think everybody should understand how to use their data and have some basic tooling to communicate with their patients from providers. What I've generally seen is most of the healthcare tech companies that are going into provider systems are point solutions. And a lot of the commodity stuff on the back end is redundant between you know, multiple digital health companies. And a health system or a payer, et cetera, like they're paying for this. And those costs are generally passed on to the consumer or the patient at the end. Makes sense. And so one thing I want to kind of transition a little bit and ask about is what that model looks like then from Camir's standpoint. I guess to ask a very blunt and simple question, how does Camir make money? Our value proposition is one, we can provide sort of the backend operating system and infrastructure. Two, we can provide intelligent workflows whether it's clinical workflows, revenue cycle, charge capture workflows to make systems smarter. And then we have other verticals that we're providing that we haven't come out with yet. 
but we are also providing the workflow layer. So we have costs for that, charges for that. And then, like I said, the third part of it is we are driving new sources of revenue with these systems. So we're providing that capability to say, you don't have to lose your business to a third-party digital health company that's providing virtual primary care. You can do the same. Or you can collaborate together. And that also has value proposition to providers. Got it. So if I'm a digital health company and I'm in Philadelphia here, I go to Penn. So let's say the Hospital University of Pennsylvania, HUP. If HUP is already using Khmer and I want to build an application, you know, what does that look like for me in terms of my engagement with Khmer and also you know, how I might want to set up my business? So if you're a third party that's working together, you can either have a contract with the health system and we're just a data source for you, or you can use our tooling to build on top where there is some component of either revenue share or percentage for the integrations that are required, right? So it depends what model you want to work with us on. We are currently working with the RPM company with a health system where the health system, like I said, wants to build a healthcare at home model. RPM isn't enough. It's a component. So the two of them are working together build, to build this healthcare at home company on top of our platform. And so there is a component of rev shares. We're basically not charging them in the beginning because we're providing the licenses and the developer tooling. But over time, we're hoping that if they're successful, we'll be successful. I'd actually like to take a step back right now and just think about this space overall. So where we've kind of seen the last five years in particular is a huge surge in interest in the space. Just to think off the top of my head, there's companies like Zeus, Redox, Olive, uh, Notable just received funding last week. So I'd be curious to get your take on the landscape, just how you think about the landscape, the different players, and you know, where your product offerings are different or they might overlap with some of the ones of the companies I mentioned or others that might come to mind. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't view other companies as competitors. We actually are collaborators. This kind of goes back to my comment about being a platform. Just because you build a mail app and we have a mail app doesn't mean we're going to compete. It just, if you're going to build a better app and the system is using it, we will help sort of partner with you to integrate into our platform. Just like I said, to take a step back, I would say, I think we all have a responsibility to sort of align, to contribute our unique capabilities to win in this industry, right? The whole reason that we're so fragmented is each of us are going and selling our own little piece of the pie and as a full stack. But unfortunately, that adds a lot of cost to the healthcare system. And I think if you're going to be a responsible innovator, you cannot be an end-to-end. You can't be the end-all, be-all to everything. And anybody doing that, I worry, because I think you're going to end up being a, building a closed system. At least the way when we started and the way that we work together is if you're innovating something and you are bringing value to a healthcare system and we exist in that space, we want to work with you. And if the healthcare system thinks that your application, your solution is better than, again, we don't have a lot of applications, but if we have something and you have something better, then we have to provide an open ecosystem and partner with you to provide you the data to make it more meaningful, right? Both for the health system and the third party. That's how you build an ecosystem. I think this year alone, we have 3,000 new healthcare technology companies that have come onto the market to fix healthcare. But the more solutions that we're adding to the market, the more fragmented it's going to, you know, it's going to get. If we can champion and be the glue to pull it all together and to connect those together, then I think we were, we're winning in the end. So Olive is doing a great job, for example, in the payments platform space. They're bringing their AI workforce 
to the billing and risk model and payments component. If their stuff is better and they have a way to integrate to us and they're inside of a system, like we're going to collaborate with them. It just makes sense to, right? Some of the bigger companies, you know, Microsoft, AWS, et cetera, if they have cloud compute and they're able to like integrate large, you know, sources of data and bring it to a central place and we can provide the next step to make it more meaningful and transactional, there's a place for us to work together. I think each of us sort of saying we're going to do each individual areas and compete together. I don't think that's going to win in the long run. So we have to make it more open and collaborative. And each system has to decide whether you're a healthcare system or a payer or a pharma company, which set of tools and what stack consolidated is going to be the best approach for you. And in my mind, I think one that is more open, that's more willing to collaborate is going to win, not the ones that are going to disrupt. That's just my two cents. Makes sense. And I'm just kind of thinking about that model. It's interesting to think about in tech, like if I have a Windows computer, a lot of times you're not going to see Windows and Mac be nice to each other. But you're saying in this situation, there are areas where you know Camir's platform can interact and integrate with, say, that of an Oliver, Zeus, or you know, some other companies. I guess to dive on that a little bit more, one thing I'd be curious to hear about is you know, what that looks like from, say, a health systems point of view. So if I'm Find out how, how am I managing the different solutions out there? Am I, to your point, deciding that we want to primarily go with, say, Camir and then pull in Olive for certain things? So, hey, Olive, go integrate with Camir. Or I guess, what does that process look like? I would say if you're a CIO at a health system or you're a business owner at a health system, you've got to decide like what areas of business you want to focus on, right? So if you're focusing on the administrative aspect, the financial wellness, and the clinical wellness, you know, if you're going to bucket things, you need a platform and operating system that's intelligent enough that binds all of these solutions together to make that data flow more meaningful and that the data is more meaningful. I keep going back to that. So ultimately, you're going to have to pick a system that's going to be your operating system, not your cloud compute storage, but your real-time, near real-time transactional system that's going to bind all these together. Right? That's number one. Once you have that layer, whatever that operating system is, if you're a commuter, then we are an open ecosystem. We do have workflow solutions on top. But if you want to work with something better, then I think it's incumbent on us to provide the APIs and to provide the data sources to make it meaningful. So the system then has to decide, like, what is your strategy for your system? Who's going to provide you the best toolkit? Right? If there's a virtual care provider that needs to come in. You've got to be able to plug them into the platform. If there is a community provider that works with Medicaid that you want to plug in, you've got to be able to do that. If you have to bring all of those data sources and plug in a payment system, you should be able to do that. If you're a system that does population health analytics for cardiology solutions, you should be able to do that. If you're one that does it for supply chain, you should be able to do that, right? So you need a system that's flexible enough to say, yes, we can manage all of these different data sources. We can give you a connected, intelligent ecosystem. And that is, I think, the true value of what an underlying platform is. And if you're going to compete against every single person in the ecosystem, you're just going to add cost. I do believe that unlike other industries, healthcare really needs to mend that fragmentation. I mean, as you know, just... This year, the VC funding has skyrocketed, right? If you look at the last five years, the slope, it just like goes straight up in terms of funding, but that hasn't led to decrease in healthcare spending or 
decrease in adverse outcomes. In fact, I think there's been a 25% increase in national healthcare spending over the last couple of years. And you've actually had an increase in the 24% increase in the number of Americans that have had at least one chronic condition. So all the stuff that's adding to the fragmentation is actually making it more expensive and it's making it worse. So throwing more money at these disparate systems just gives you more siloed information and is not making it helpful. So I do think that if you're a CIO or if you're a CSO, whatever, whatever your strategy person is, needs to kind of think about how do you build an operating system for your, for your facility. And from your perspective, some of the conversations you've been having so far, do you feel that there's still a lot of systems that don't have a strategy, that haven't adopted a operating system? Or are you finding more that you know, they might have an operating system that they're using today, you know, one of the other companies we mentioned, but that they're deciding to make shift gears and you know, work with Comura because their value proposition or strategy has changed. Where do you mostly see some of these conversations landing? I would say, I think we're at the very beginning of the early innings. Most uh, systems still look at their EHRs as that operating system and they expect it to you know, be all, do all, cure all. If you go into a payer strategy, payers are still trying to figure it out. They're trying to build their own sort of systems in the middle, bring on their own people. It's really expensive, right? The OPEX is really expensive to maintain this stuff. We have a couple of really forward-thinking CEOs, and I really think the CEO is the strategist, right, in these sort of systems. If you're not prioritizing innovation and you're not pushing to think about like new ways, you're going to get left behind. And I think... You know, there are a couple of systems that are thinking about it, but the conversations are still about why do I need to do this? How is this meaningful? Why can't I just do this with my EHR? Why can't I just rely on my EHR to do this, right? We will eventually have to get to, yes, you can have a system of record. You can have a system of engagement. You eventually need a system of intelligence and engagement that pulls it all together. Yeah, and hopefully this podcast, if any of those health system CEOs are listening, is motivation to kind of go forward with that strategy. A couple more topics I want to talk about. One is around this idea of partnerships as we're kind of thinking about this future world. And just for context on some news, this past October, General Catalyst, one of your investors in Jefferson Health, announced that there was a partnership around this idea of the Health Assurance Network. And this consists of several companies a lot of them funded by General Catalyst, including Comir, Tendo, Transcarent, to Olive. So it seems like there's this uh, larger initiative being built on, you know, within some of these portfolio companies. So can you just tell me a little bit about you know, what this network is, its goals, and then finally, what Comir's role within this network might look like? Yeah, I mean, it's all of the things we've been talking about. Health assurance, I think in general, we believe, at Comir, General Catalyst believes, is you need an ecosystem of players to come together and work symbiotically in a partnership to actually improve the data, improve the exchange to drive towards better outcomes and to reduce the cost of care. We're the partnership here. And when we looked at TJU, it was one of our uh, foundational customers. And we saw that Steve Clasco was one of the bleeding edge health institution CEO that was willing to think In this world of fee-for-service, how do I bring things together to drive towards outcomes? How do I think about value-based care, right, while I'm working in the system? And so it's been a great partnership there for us. And this next step for us was really to come together as multiple companies to say, what are we willing to do and not to do? 
And our role there is to be that, like I said, that connective tissue layer and provide that platform for innovation to say, how do we bring all of these systems together? How do we bring these uh, third parties and intra Jefferson system together to provide that innovation and data exchange? How do you increase network connectivity? I think I talked about healthcare at home in the near term. How do you eliminate these transitions of care from within the system to outside of the system to make it more frictionless experience for the patients, right? Whether you're going to a referring provider or whether you're out in the community and working with a community worker, how do you make that transition seamless for the patients? And how do we as a platform company enable that innovation, right, to build on top of us and to allow these systems to exchange? That was sort of the partnership discussion there. But again, you know, to my point earlier, we are willing to work with Tendo to do X, Y, and Z. We're willing not to do X, Y, and Z, right? So that we're not adding to the cost of care or do pass-through costs to the customer. So it sounds like there's this uh, large like goodwill effort to reduce that friction that companies might face when they're all looking at the same health system to make sure that some of these integrations are a little bit more smooth. And is it correct then that it seems like a large goal is partnership, obviously in the near term, is to develop a set of best practices and guidelines as to what is, I guess, the right protocol for how companies are going to interact in this space. You know, companies that have more of a foot in the door with these health systems, or is there a whole nother layer of, we're also developing actual integrations and, you know, new channels of communication. I was kind of curious what the I guess, near-term output of this could look like and even longer down the line, uh, what the goal could be. I think it's two faces of coin, right? There's one around how do you remove like those barriers to your point for these companies to come interact with the system. But two, it's that same willingness by the healthcare system to say, we're okay letting people not come in and be hospitalized, right? The heads and beds has been around as a metric for a really long time. But really at the end of the day, like you get paid as a health system when you've got more admissions and people inside of a hospital. So when we work with someone like Steve Plasco, who's willing to say, we want to prioritize wellness and well care and keeping people out of the hospital more than sick care. That is like a huge statement in the healthcare industry. And he's willing to say, I'm willing to collaborate with all these systems so that I can understand my patients better to keep them out of the hospital. I want to take care of them in their home. I want to take care of them in their community. I don't need them to come into the hospital and drive up cost of care. And I think if you have that incentive and you're willing to align along those lines on both sides, like I think the health assurance framework has been achieved. And so for us, when we're looking for these partnerships, not just with the companies, but we're also looking for that same type of motivation from the systems to say, we're willing to come together to show and lead the change. Super cool. And I really do hope it succeeds because it sounds like it could be that type of thing that really helps kind of change the way people think about their strategy in this space. So just now kind of shifting gears one last time and thinking about the future, you are a relatively new CEO to the role. So I'd really love to get your take on your vision for how Kamir is going to grow. There was a, a public blog post from Kamir a little while back talking about M&A being a key part of that growth. So just curious to hear how you're thinking about the overall growth strategy and where M&A can you know, be a valuable part of that. Yeah, I mean, I would say my goal as CEO hasn't changed regardless of whether I'm in CETA CEO or any other role that I've been in. Really, my goal when I started in medicine was to provide the best care for patients. And that's sort of extended today to how I think about things. 
it's really how to build this like hyper-connected ecosystem that's frictionless for the patients. And so we're going to keep going down and seeing like, how are we going to be that sort of connected tissue to provide that? So that's going to stay as our North Star. Um, in terms of our own growth strategy, it hasn't changed. Whatever the blog post said, I have to go back and look at it. Uh, we're fortunate to be in a position, I would say, we think that acquisitions fuel our growth. I know that not a lot of companies share that privilege, but we have really nimble architecture that allows us to quickly replatform companies that we acquire and propel our growth. And I would say M&A is on our DNA. It's been our strategy. It's both inorganic and organic growth has been core to how we do well. Most recent you know, patient keeper acquisition was big news for us. But it's not our first and it won't be our last. We've already acquired a small you know, handful of other really amazing companies that we've integrated into our platform. And I think in this like evolving landscape to all the stuff we've been talking about, this sort of approach of integration and acquisitions are really important for a successful company. Every time we look at a company, we're like, what is it that they're bringing that's stronger and better? And where are they bringing us a customer base where we can go work with that customer base to show them our model to see if they're willing to collaborate with us? So it's, it's key to our strategy. In terms of developing product capabilities, can you kind of speak to where M&A falls there? So we were talking earlier about you know, being able to make sense of this data and building out these workflows. To the extent that you're able to share, you know, are there areas where you think being able to bring in skills, capabilities is useful to developing that larger ecosystem or products that a health system might find valuable. I can't give away our product roadmap and strategy, but I will tell you that we are definitely hiring people that are um, more platform and developer platform centric. You know, whether it's an acquisition or a recruitment, we are looking for people that can come help us build that ecosystem. We're also looking for people that know how to work with other EHRs and other healthcare data sources. You know, we think that integration should be a commodity product. It should be freely available at the lowest cost possible. And so we're looking for people that really understand, you know, all of the different data sources and how do you build a platform that makes a repeatable integration chassis that we can bring to the market. So we're always looking for talent in that space. We're looking for talent in a lot of other places in terms of an acquisition, but I would say just give me a couple of months where we can update our website and tell you what we're up to. We're almost there and I'll keep you posted. Sounds good. Can't blame you for trying, right? So in the last few minutes, I did want to just take a step back from all this. And then, as you know, many of our listeners are MBA students. So I'd like to just start off asking, you know, what some of your best piece of career advice might be to MBAs? And in particular, We've heard from a lot of people who knew you were coming on the show that to be interesting getting your take on your experience as a woman of color as well. It's a great question. I don't know if I have all the answers, but I'll tell you from my own experience, I would say definitely as, I don't know if it's a woman of color necessarily, but I would say just in general, people can try to box you in. And I see myself as a square peg, round hole, and that's okay. I've been told, well, you're a doctor, why do you work in a healthcare you know, technology company? Or why are you a CEO of a technology company, right? It's a very tech-heavy company. And you just have to say, like, you have to know what you want to accomplish and where you want to get to. The second biggest thing I would say is I always build a team around me. You know, I don't know it all, and I don't have all of the strengths, but I know what I bring to the table, and my team really, really matters. And so building a very strong team around me has always been really helpful to sort of think about what do I want to achieve. Sometimes I've been referred to as a force of nature, 
but I'm going to take that as a good thing. <laughs> there are lots of different connotations for that, but I would say just keep going. The best piece of advice I was given, and I talk about this quite a bit, is build your kitchen cabinet. I did this a long time ago, and it's been really helpful. It's my informal group of advisors that I go to that are in different parts of my world, whether it's how to be a working mom, how to be a doctor that's entering technology, or how do you kind of think about all of the different technology aspects and be a CEO. It doesn't matter which part I'm picking from. These are my trusted confidants that have known me over the years and can speak the truth. Because I think sometimes you just need it. You need to hear from somebody saying, you're, you're wrong on this. And here's my advice to you from X, Y, Z years of experience. And I think that's been one of the best things for me to help me grow and to help me stay grounded and keep going to whatever it is I want to achieve. So I would really recommend people sort of build that cabinet around them. And I would say, you know, these relationships go both ways. Sometimes you're the kitchen cabinet member for that other person. And that's okay. You learn from over time. I think when you build that relationship and actually put in the effort, it goes both ways, which is a great feeling. Yeah, for sure. So last question of the day. Again, we are an MBA-run podcast. So I'd love to know, is Camure hiring MBAs? And if so, what kind of skills and backgrounds are you looking for? We're always hiring. We're at about 350 to 400 people, I think, today. So we are always hiring and expanding. So check out our site, Camure.com slash careers. We are hiring people in business development, in product management, in thinking through in M&A. So lots of different areas where an MBA can be super helpful. We currently have a couple of people, I believe, who are actually interns that are working with us and helping us sort of think through our own you know, strategy. But these are all former MBA people that have come on board and interning to see if they like working with us. So lots of opportunities. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for making time today. This was a great conversation. And I really appreciated you coming on to the show and sharing a little bit about your personal background as well as uh, your vision for Premier. So thank you again. Thanks for having me.